people will say, well, why would you want to learn from the ancient Maya? Their civilization collapsed. But that culture was pretty stable for 2,500 years. So there are lessons to be learned from how people tackled past adversity with climate and, and environment. And it's not, it's not a throwaway question. It's a really important question to ask because I think archaeologists, any scientist, needs to be able to explain what is it that they're doing that, that can in some way be applied and used rather than knowledge for just knowledge's sake, which is still important, but we also have this responsibility, I think. Welcome to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. You just heard archaeologists Marcello Canuto and Thomas Garrison reflect on how studying ancient cultures like the Mayans can help us tackle large-scale problems like climate change. Esri Director of Conservation Solutions David Gadsden investigates how technology, especially advanced imagery, is being applied in archaeology to reveal important secrets about remarkable civilizations. Marcello and Tom, welcome to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. Thank you. We're very happy to be here from different parts of the U.S. and a thrill for us. Yes, thank you very much. It's great to be here. Within your fields of study, you've focused uh, heavily on Mesoamerica, ancient civilizations that inhabited modern-day Mexico, Belize, Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, Nicaragua, and northern Costa Rica. What distinguishes this region of the world and why is it significant for the type of work that you do? Well, Mesoamerica, as you said, is uh, an area that encompasses a lot of these different countries that are basically from Mexico all the way to Central America. And it's a, it's a fascinating region that, of course, you know, was brought to European attention uh, with the conquest in the 1500s, right? But it was a, an area that had a cultural tradition that went back 2,000, 3,000 years. So it has this wonderful long history that we could study archaeologically. But one of the more fascinating aspects of it, and what I think makes it a really exciting place to work, is the fact that uh, despite the, the contact with Europeans in the last 500 years, there are so many indigenous traditions that are still visible today that we could study to, to understand the archaeology in the ancient past. And so it's this wonderful mix of civilizations of the past that were that developed complex civilizations and and very, you know writing systems and had and had their own history combined with a sort of anthropological study of, of modern day peoples that, that can help inform us not just about their history, but also about about uh, their culture, their religion, their ideas, their philosophies. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, it's one of the cradles of civilization in the world. When you think of Mesopotamia, Egypt, China, you know, Mesoamerica is is right up there as one of these places of great early civilizations. And, you know, the lasting legacy on the global level are things as important as corn and chocolate. So uh, there's, there's really a, a lot of stuff people know about Mesoamerica that they don't know is from Mesoamerica. So we're here today to talk about some of the incredible technological advancements happening in the field of archaeology. But to help kind of provide some context, traditionally, how does archaeology take place in a, in a region that's largely covered by rainforest? Yeah, if you, if you were to just look at a satellite image over um, eastern Mesoamerica, where the Maya are, it would just be this vast green blanket. But that's really masking this incredible diversity uh, within that sort of rainforest environment. So there are all sorts of challenges 
from, you know, basic stuff like plants that'll give you nasty rashes to, you know, just getting disoriented because of the, the sheer weight of the, the vegetation of, around you. It's important to keep in mind, and this is something that we as scholars of this particular part of the world have only come to appreciate recently, is that it wasn't like this at the time of the period in which we we're studying, right? It wasn't covered in a forest in the same way that it's covered today. And so, you know, part of the, the, the struggle is living, working in an environment that has changed so much because it was abandoned, because it, there weren't people there for the last millennium. So we're sort of working in what is essentially an, a forested region that's covering these vast cities and vast populations um, that, that, that had essentially cleared the area a thousand years ago. How has technology changed the way that you approach your work? You know, it, it's, it's fascinating because we've gone from absolutely analog world to an almost entirely digital world, right? And, uh, and when I started working in the Maya region, of course, where bringing a, a battery-powered anything to the field was almost, you know, out of the ordinary, beyond, you wouldn't want to do it, basically, because the batteries would die in the field, right? It would just be, and how can you get any more? You know, we're talking about areas where you couldn't bring electricity, you can't power things. This is prior to portable solar panels and so forth that you could use to charge things. So it used to be a place where you go out there and, you know, you, you bring a tape and a compass and, uh, and you did all the kinds of things you did with as little electronics as possible. But now it's coming, coming around to it being plausible to do this in a way that the technology can be applied to the specifics that we do in the field. So it's, it's a, an incredible change in the last 30, 40 years. You both participated in a research project in the Paten region of Guatemala, which uses advanced technologies to uncover some 60,000 structures hidden for centuries. What was the original goal of the project and what kinds of visualization did you use to orient yourselves to that work? I'll start by talking a little bit about the, the goals of this project. When LIDAR technology was first applied to my archaeology, it was like most things, most technologies, it was applied by a single project on the particular area that they're focusing on. And most archaeological projects in the Maya area focus on a single site, a large site, and expand out from that site. What was truly exciting about the Pakunam project um, initially in 2016, and it's only gotten bigger since, is the idea of actually putting together uh, a LIDAR uh, sampling strategy that involved not only several project areas at the same time, but also several areas that didn't have a large site at the center of. Um, and this was sort of this, this idea of let's get a good sample of a large region. Um, when LIDAR was already expanding our scales of analysis by a factor of 10 or 100 per project, this exploded it by saying, let's even go bigger than that. Um, and that was really what was exciting at, at the sort of foundational level is not just one project doing a lot or doing a large area, but being able to say, okay, we're going to do 10 or 12 different spots in this large area, and we will study it all at the same time. I, and I, I would add, uh, or I guess if I were to sort of describe this, the Pakunam LIDAR initiative, I don't know if there was any one single goal because the scale of the project was so great and so um, the Pakunam Foundation, which is a Guatemala-based foundation that, that supports the research, 
they support archaeology, which is of course what Marcello and I are, are interested in, and was probably the original driving force of, of all of this. But there's so much more that LIDAR data can do. So in addition to the scale of, of studying an ancient civilization that I think we're up to 7,000 square kilometers of data will allow, you also are able to inventory the cultural and natural resources of the Paten, and you're able to track incredible environmental detail by studying forest composition that's recorded by all of the data that archaeologists don't use. So the archaeology goal for Marcello and I, of course, is a more comprehensive understanding of the ancient Maya, but there's so much more in the LIDAR data that uh, is going to enrich other areas of inquiry and study. Perhaps we could just spend a moment on LIDAR uh, for any of our listeners who aren't familiar with the technology. What is it? How have you applied it? And how has it helped you expand the scale of your, of your project focus? So, yeah, that, that's a, a great question. And, you know, the easiest way to explain LIDAR to people that are totally unfamiliar is if they've ever been in a fancy car that beeps when you're about to back into something, that's LIDAR. And it, it's a one of a number of technologies that we call remote sensing technologies. And if it sounds like sonar or radar, there's a reason for that. They're all sort of related sensors in that they emit something. For radar, it's a radio wave. For sonar, it's a, a sound wave. For LIDAR, it's light. It's a laser beam. And because we know the speed of light, if you tell the instrument where it is in three-dimensional space, when it emits a laser and it hits a point of resistance, it can tell you exactly where that point of resistance is. And when you do that billions and billions of times, you get this cloud of measurements that creates a very realistic model of the world around you. And so when it's being used in the car, it's just measuring the distance of your car to what it's about to, to hit. But when you're using it from say an airplane, it's basically scanning the jungle underneath. And because it collects so many points, uh, you can run all of that big data through these algorithms and say, you know what, we only want the points that actually reach the ground. And that's what we do as archaeologists working in a jungle environment. We say, just give us the points that reach the ground. And when you only look at those, what you've done is essentially deforested the jungle in your computer and revealed this ancient world underneath. If you think about what this technology does, it's, it's, an, it's absolutely breathtaking what it, it is capable of doing for archaeology and you know a lot of people refer to it as penetrating the vegetation um, in some way and it's not doing that at all if you if you lie down on the floor of a jungle not something i would recommend because for a very long time anyway but if you look up even the thickest of jungles you'll see little holes in the foliage that bring you to images of this, that show you the the, the sky that's a, a, a above this the, the forest the LiDAR is able to send so many pulses of light that some of them are able to get into those little holes and get down to the ground, right? And then bounce back. And that's what we study is what, that's what we look at once we are able to remove digitally the forest, we look at what's left on the ground, all the points that, that we think hit the ground and we can see certain features that really don't look natural because they're linear or they're circular or they go into certain architectural 
uh, or uh, forms and so forth. And we recognize as those, those as buildings, temples, and, 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 and other features built by humans. We also recognize you know, other features that are natural, but adept, uh, relevant to human occupation. And so we get this incredibly rich data set from this that is, as I as Tom says, is only one little sliver of what is the, the thick vegetation data that can be used by ecologists, forest conservationists, governments and so forth in ways that you know are almost infinite. I think it's important also to note that LIDAR is actually not a new technology. What's really made LIDAR useful in, in archaeology has been the increasing development of the capacities of sensors and the ability of computers to process larger and larger data sets. So, you know, the, the credit for the current revolution in archaeological LIDAR in Mesoamerica goes to Arlen and Diane Chase, who first used it in Belize when they were at the University of Central Florida. And uh, people had said, oh, it'll never work, the jungle's too thick, but they collaborated with the this group, the National Center for Airborne Laser Mapping. And, you know, they fly the plane back and forth like you would mow your lawn. And all they did was they increased the overlap between the flight paths from what they would normally do in an area without as dense forest. And that really did the, the trick. And then since that time, even more developed sensors have come out that shoot the lasers in different directions and over different wavelengths. And it really gives us this uh, incredible data set that, that is what people have been seeing images of in, in the media. It's more about what has been developed in the last decade in terms of the sensor technology rather than the technology being invented itself. So through this technological approach, you've mapped more than 800 square miles of the Maya Biosphere Reserve and produced the largest LIDAR data set ever created for archeological research. Was the goal a landscape level archeological assessment or was that an opportunity presented by how well this technology worked? We were not the first people to use LIDAR by, by any stretch in the, in the Maya area. And so what was important here was the scale. Instead of focusing on just a single known site, which, you know, that's what some of the earliest studies were, were the, these LIDAR scans of sites that were pretty well known. And that's necessary as sort of a proof of concept before you're going to invest money in the, in the technology. And what we did in Guatemala with the Pakunam Foundation was we said, okay, well, let's start using it, not just for sites we know, but as really an exploratory tool. And let's see, you know, what's going on between the pyramids. You know, I'll say this, uh, you know, in, in terms of all of this, this has been, my archaeology has had a long and somewhat, and Tom knows this extremely well, checkered history with remote sensing promises, right? The, the promise of remote sensing. Every step of the way, this will do it, right? This will do it. And so LIDAR came at the end of this long kind of sequence of each one promising this new world um, and kind of failing <laughs> or not being really uh, what, we, what we were really hoping for. Um, and so, in fact, a lot of scholars have been wondering, is this just another one of those whiz-bang things that people are getting all excited about, but in the end, it's going to prove to be, you know, not much more than what has happened. Actually, no, this one really is going to, this one's sticking. And this one, I think people, when they see what, what it provides and what it produces, they, they, they immediately, you know, 
Think about scholars who have spent their entire career essentially blind or seeing out of a pinhole, right? And then having that little limitation removed and they all recognize what they're seeing as real, right? As what it, it, it's, it's the real deal. It's got its problems, it's got its limitations, all that kind of stuff, but nowhere near the problems that any of the previous technologies had. And so that's been a paradigm changing thing for us. As you've evolved or scaled outward from these very site-specific, deeply detailed studies to more of a landscape-level understanding, or at least a landscape-level context to derive more understanding, how is geography playing a role? Yeah, well, I mean, I'll tell you how much this is affecting geography and that I've now been hired in a geography department, uh, whereas my whole <laughs> life I've been in anthropology. Um, but it really is, a, especially particularly our project, the Pakistan LIDAR Initiative and the landscape approach, it's showing the interconnectivity and the infrastructure of a civilization. And so it's interesting because for really over a century, uh, people working in the Maya area have sort of been looked upon by the rest of the archaeological world of having kind of a narrow vision and not really understanding the complete sort of regional nature of the civilization. And LIDAR has flipped that all the way around so that the jungle that had previously hindered us has actually preserved all of these subtleties of the ancient world that don't exist for, say, the Roman Empire, because modern Europe is covering a lot of the infrastructure of that civilization. And so, you know, when we got LIDAR data, there wasn't anything that was revealed that was sort of totally new. Like, we knew that there were ancient roads. We knew that there were ancient field systems. We knew that there were defensive systems. But those would be sort of snippets and chance discoveries that had happened so that we knew like, yes, this thing exists. And LIDAR now just reveals all of the puzzle pieces and shows how they all interlock with one another so that we can start actually saying, you know, this is how this whole system worked. This is how, uh, you know, the city center with the pyramids and palaces, its entire support network you know, extended this far around the area and they were exploiting these different sort of micro environments and road systems connected these cities together, but not these cities. And so it, it's showing us this complete picture, but the deceptive thing is it's also showing us a complete temporal picture. It's taking over two millennia of the ancient Maya and it's Pressing all of that activity into these single images. And so our new task is to try to peel off the layers of that onion and figure out how it all came together to give us that, that sort of final snapshot. Given the magnitude of your discoveries and the, the massive volume of data advising uh, that research, how are you communicating these results? I think that when you're an archaeologist and doing archaeology, you think everything you're doing is important, but only sometimes does the public think what you're doing is interesting or, or important. If the public's interested, we have the responsibility to, to tell them about it. It's been really exciting to see the way that this connects with the public, and it is some combination of this high-tech stuff to look at ancient, old 
civilization that I think draws this this appeal from a, a broader audience and brings out the sort of I guess inner Indiana Jones or Lara Croft and everyone you know we as archaeologists kind of cringe when we think of those characters now but they are the enduring public images of what archaeology is. In, in light of that, I, I'll tell this funny story that uh, I was flying to Guatemala a couple of years ago and uh, someone, uh, in, while we were waiting for the luggage in the airport in Guatemala came up to me and said, excuse me, are you an archeologist? And you know, I wasn't wearing any kind of Indiana Jones gear. I mean, I was just <laughs> landing in a city. I was, a, and I, I said, yeah, I am. How did you know? And he, and he said, we saw you at the, in, in that documentary with those other guys doing that lasers in the jungle thing. That was so cool. Uh, and he actually asked for my autograph the only time, probably the only time I'll ever be asked that. And I was like, wow, okay. When, when that happens, a few times you get that in your career as a scientist, trying to do something and seeing how it engages people, that's when you have to take the greatest advantage. I mean, and this is incredibly important for a place like Guatemala, um, not just for tourism and so forth, but things like, you know, uh, 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 being at the forefront of analysis of, of, of this data in Northern Patan, especially Guatemala is becoming really a place where a great deal of, of information about forests, conservation, heritage management, and so with these sort of serious, important kind of professional things, along with explaining to the world, there is a huge, wonderful and wonderfully preserved cultural heritage that is, is worth knowing more about. Based on your deeper understanding of the Mayan civilization, are there lessons or anecdotes that could advise where we are today and some of the challenges we're facing? As archaeologists, we always like to think that what we're doing is relevant. I don't know if everyone agrees with us all the time. It's interesting as you see some of the challenges being faced by humanity today, you know, global warming, climate change, you know, food shortages, things like that. When we start getting the scale of understanding of the way a past civilization experienced these problems at a basic human level, it's adding to the, the knowledge of how we as a species have responded to adversity in the past. And people will say, well, why would you want to learn from the ancient Maya? Their civilization collapsed. And of course, there are, you know, 6 million people that speak Mayan languages today. They didn't disappear. But that culture was pretty stable. It had ups and downs for 2,500 years, which what we haven't even been around 300 years and I don't know if we're going to make it another 10. So there are lessons to be learned from how people tackled past uh, adversity with climate and, and environment. And so I, I think that it's a case where archaeologists actually do have a seat at the table. There's such a tremendous amount of innovation in, in this body of work, uh, both integrating the new sensor technology, feathering that in in an interoperable way with your traditional site specific field work, new communication approaches, new open science and collaboration. Um, where do you see this headed? You know, what predictions do you have for new technologies perhaps and how that influences the future of archeology? span I think that um, LIDAR is proving itself to be an enduring technology. It's not, you know, something that's going away. I think that 
there will be better sensors that get developed, but it'll still be that technology of you know using um, light detection to to come up with these models. But as the cost goes down, as it does for any technology, um, and thinking you know beyond the Maya area, and just thinking about you know the global tropics and the forested areas, it's going to be this incredible technology for baseline documentation. And then hopefully when repetitive collections can happen, you know, if they come up with a compelling space-borne platform one day, getting, you know, really detailed monitoring of the Earth's surface as a as a whole. Because the the level of, of detail in three dimensions that you get from LIDAR is unlike anything else out there at the moment. Yeah, I would say that that there, there's a another side to that question. This particular technology itself and the, the the improvements that it can present. Then there's the other side, information management, right? The, the ability of bringing to bear um, other sets of data um, to the, and 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 put these together. I think that that combination, you know, that that ability not just to, for instance, with Landsat data, right now with something. Um, there are these there there are these ways in which now there's such a plethora of data from these satellites that these different passes that have done been done for for decades now can be combined digitally to produce images that were the best of multiple multiple years of data collection right um, and creating finer and finer grained data sets simply because we have them all we have them all recorded we have them all saved and then we can query them and create kind of a, a rich data set that comes as a secondary product of having collected so much data. Um, and that I think is where, where a lot of this is, a lot of the back end stuff is gonna be really fascinating, being able to not just collect all of these data, but then being able to interconnect it, enrich it um, with other data from different data sets to create a kind of an amalgam that is unique to completely different data recovery projects, right? That I think is going to be something that's going to be truly fascinating. And it's hard to predict where that's going to go because again, it's one of those things where we're really on the cusp. But if you can have all of these LiDAR data and then enrich it with all sorts of other kinds of data that can be brought to bear that we don't necessarily fully appreciate yet with other satellites, other landscape images, other um, in information about historical maps, um, you know, census maps and so forth. You can create this incredibly, incredibly rich data set from which a whole series of other analyses can, can come. So to me, that's where the, the really exciting stuff will likely come through, not just in data collection, but then in, in data mass. Marcello, Tom, it's been an education. Thank you so much for joining me today. It was, it was great fun to talk to you and talk about this stuff. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you for listening to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. And thanks to Marcello Canuto and Thomas Garrison for explaining how new technology assists archaeological research to deepen our understanding of cultural resilience and social systems. If you liked this episode, please take a moment to rate Esri and the Science of Wear podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about how location intelligence technology drives innovation and operational insight, visit esri.com forward slash location intelligence.